Hi, welcome to the newest episode of The Adoption Files. I'm your host, Andy Stanley. Joining me today is the meticulous Daphne Keys. Uh, you'll understand that comment as we move along a little bit, but thank you so much for being here today, Daphne. Thank you, Andy. I can't wait to see where this leads. <laughs> <laughs> well, we usually find a rabbit hole or two to fall down, but you know, I try to keep things sort of on topic. So you are a fellow adoptee from the baby scoop era. And yeah, and for people who don't know what that means, that basically if you were adopted post-World War II to the early 70s is considered kind of the baby scoop era in adoption history. And um, so if you wouldn't mind, like you were adopted in Maryland, yes? Yes, I was part of the domestic infant supply in Maryland during the baby scooper. <laughs> okay. I was one of those ones that they didn't get to adopt here. So they went overseas and and did it overseas. So you are domestic. I'm international. And you were adopted in Maryland, which has some pretty strict laws, but Let's talk a little bit about, did you know that you were adopted when you were growing up? Always. Always. Okay. So you don't remember a time before you knew? No, not that I can recall. Adoption, it's a very twisted story. <laughs> but I ended up in foster care. And... I wasn't adopted, so my the daughter of my foster parents adopted me. So adoption was not anything that was secretive in my house because there were other foster kids around. So Okay, because you were a little bit older when you were adopted. Right. Right. I was almost two. Okay. So now being from that era and let's face it, being a white infant girl most of the babies during that point were adopted pretty quickly was there a reason and if it's uncomfortable to talk about just let me know no I'm an open book um so things are kind of unknown because you know things are sealed but the story that I was told was that, and this is what I was told just four years ago by my biological aunt, was that I was taken from the hospital shortly after birth by a nun. Now, I wasn't born in a Catholic hospital, so I have no idea why there was a nun involved. She was under the impression that the adoption was through Catholic charities, but it wasn't. Um, so she has no idea where I went when I was taken by the nun, because I didn't end up in foster care until I was three days old. So there's kind of this theory that I may have gone to a home, um, an adoptive home, because my, my biological mother was told I was going straight from her to an adoptive home. Um, but I ended up in foster care. So the theory is that possibly I was returned Okay. See, and that's interesting because my mother was also told that 
I was going home the very next day after I was born with my adoptive parents, but I ended up in the hospital for two weeks and my medical records don't indicate why I was in the hospital, just that there was a test done and they don't know what the test was for. So did you have any medical issues when you were an infant that might have influenced your uh, being adopted? Well, I did. So my now, this is all conjecture, speculation, theory. Um, my mother was blonde, petite, blonde, and blue-eyed. And the theory is that that's what the adopters were looking for. And then I was born. I look nothing like my mother. I look like my father. Brown hair, brown eyes. And I actually, I was cross-eyed when I was born. So the theory is I wasn't a perfect product and I was defective and I was returned. But we don't know that. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up in foster care. So then I was considered unadoptable because I had crossed eyes. I also had a, con it's in my medical records, um, only the um, adoption paperwork that my um, adopters got that I had a heart murmur. Okay. So, um, so that could have been part of it too. Um, and for some reason it's noted that I was lethargic and they thought maybe I had some, mental retardation um but you know the rest of my medical history says you know progressing normally so who knows we really i don't know but anyway well and i think that's <laughs> i think that's part of being adopted that is so unsettling for so many of us that we don't have the answers to those questions right yeah we don't know and, and no one is available to give us that information so my my you know when I ask people about what happened back then I have you know five or six different stories so <laughs> that sounds familiar yeah depending on who yeah. you ask so yeah okay and you know it's interesting it's like what lens are we looking through an aunt a grandmother a mother or father you know so it's all different. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and what you said about appearance that you looked like your father and, you, you know, that is speculation that that might have been a reason. But I know from talking with my adoptive mom that they were disappointed with the way that I turned out because I look more like my father who they had never seen. They had seen my mother. And it was oh. the same, yeah, it was the same kind of thing. She had green eyes, strawberry blonde hair, petite. Oh, well. Yep. <laughs> all, all, they got, all they got out of that equation was I'm short. <laughs> I'm right between the two of them. So <laughs> my mother okay. was very short. My father was tall. I'm right in between. But uh, yeah, okay. I definitely don't. I, they if I was taken home from the hospital, then they didn't get the product they ordered. <laughs> okay. But, but anyway, so we could go off on, <laughs> that could be yes. one of those rabbit holes we could go down. 
but the whole yeah I'm just gonna stop now so uh, <laughs> so you grew up knowing and because you grew up with an adoptive parent who was familiar with foster care was talking about being adopted about um, you know being fostered was that something that was okay to talk about oh yeah absolutely I always had um my she had at the hearing for my adoption she had an opportunity to ask whatever questions she wanted to ask as long as the judge could answer them without identifying my parents the judge did that so I have this paper handwritten notes from my mother adoptive mother um and I always had access to that it's it's well worn you can tell that I you know folded it and unfolded it and folded and unfolded a million times throughout my childhood so oh I mean it was very open okay but it was also tempered with and this is through she she did the best she could um it was always tempered with um more than likely your father's parents did not know about you if you were to look for them you could ruin lives and (laughs) that's heavy yes it is that's really heavy eat that narrative absolutely hate that that is what we hear so often as adoptees and for you as a child to hear that is just beyond me it was hard enough for me to confront that as an adult I can't imagine being told that as a child it was always yes because when I was taken to foster care my grandmother who was my foster mother um was told don't go out showing her in the neighborhood that's all the social worker said so that leads them where does your mind go there must be biological family around so you know found out that my my paternal grandparents lived less than a mile away from my grandmother Oh, wow. So you're growing up in this space where you know that you've been a foster child. You know that you're adopted. And I know that my biological family is close by. You think I didn't look at every single person on the street? I did. (laughs) Oh, that's so painful. And to be told you're not supposed to go out in public like you're some sort of shameful secret that you're oh that just makes me so mad on behalf of little Daphne that's just that's just (laughs) not that's not okay and so you grew up right in the midst of your family but required to be invisible to them Wow. I'm so sorry. My paternal grandparents lived less than a block from my elementary school. So I had to have seen them at some point in my life. My, my grandfather owned a hobby shop, not in the neighborhood. 
that my brother used to frequent. So, you know, it, it was all around. Now, my, my mother had moved out of town, but, but my father's family was still there. My father wasn't, but his family was. Wow. I mean, on the one hand, you haven't been removed from your family's community. So you're growing up in the same atmosphere or with the same, you know, touchstones, the same businesses, the same town, you know, traditions in your neighborhood and things like that. But you're also growing up in like with this huge chasm between you and the people that you come from that had to be really difficult to navigate or even kind of comprehend. Do you still try to comprehend what that was like? Like, does it still feel weird? Everything about adoption feels weird. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I just, I, you know, but I don't think I can ever reconcile with that it, because it, I just can't. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's one of the things that really bothers me. Did you ever meet your paternal grandparents? No, they, they were passed before I found out who I was. Oh, so you never even had a chance to ask them. Did you no. see you walk by and think that little girl looks <laughs> Earlier. <laughs> well, I used to like they lived on this road that it was a major road and intersected with another major road where there was a Baskin Robbins. Oh. Okay. And after my softball games, we would go to Baskin Robbins, the whole team. So, you know, at some point we were probably at Baskin Robbins or the donut place or whatever at the same time we had to be you know i lived there for 16 years and so did they so we had to have passed oh, each other at some point oh that's yeah now did your mother's extended family turn out to be in the same area even though she had moved away some of them actually a cousin uh, one of my mother's cousins, so not, but my second, first cousin once removed or second cousin, whatever it is, um, lived in my neighborhood. <laughs> so this is so, whenever I talk to somebody with a story similar to yours, it just blows me away because it's so different from, from my own experience until I got into my adult years and people kept coming up to me and saying that they had met my sister. And I, at the time it was before I knew I was adopted and I was like, how, you know, she doesn't live here. That's weird that you would have met her. She's, did she tell you about me or something? Cause we don't look at all like each other. She's, you know, I'm like only if she's super, super, super white and blonde and tiny, have you met my sister? And, uh, <laughs> So it was really strange to me. And then when I discovered I was adopted, then I started looking because people kept telling me that my sister lived in the area and I still to this day, I have no idea who they were talking about, but wow, 
Yeah, but I never experienced that until after I found out. And so like growing up, when you were going to school, did you look at your classmates and I don't know, potential romantic partners and think I could be related to this person? I would say when I was in like a child in elementary school, junior high, I was always looking for a sibling or a parent. Um, but the, you know, hooking up with a brother or sister, you know, didn't, didn't cross my mind until probably 19 or so. I was like, oh, wow, I could be related to this person. <laughs> that would not be cool. <laughs> no, you're like, I need to travel out of state to have a date with somebody. It's, so now did you, now you grew up in Maryland and what a lot of people are probably unaware of is that Maryland does not allow unrestricted access to adoptees for their original birth certificates with a fun condition. If you were born before January 1st, 2020, you have to have a court order to get a copy of your birth certificate. If you're born January 1st, of two th or I'm sorry, if you're born before 2000, the year 2000, yeah. you cannot get a copy if without a court order. If you're born on January 1st of 2000 and you're 21, so if you turned 21 last year, you can just <laughs> request a copy of your birth certificate as long as your parents do not file a veto and right. you just pay it and you just pay a fee and you get a copy, a non-certified copy of your birth certificate. If you were born before 2020, you have to have a court order unless you were born before 1947, because even though Baltimore or even though Maryland sealed adoptee birth certificates in 1937 you had to request that it be that it be kept from your child so if it was prior to 1947 you might be able to get a copy so so it's this really convoluted very bonkers system that they have set up for Maryland and you and I both were born after 1947 and before right. 2000 so yeah. <laughs> so you fall under the no I'm outside of the donut hole <laughs> exactly and you the other thing that people realize is you have access without explanation to non-identifying information so you can Correct. request so now how old were you when you decided that you would like to get a copy of your original information 
probably 19. I had just moved back from California to Maryland. And um, I was hell-bent on figuring out who I was. And I went to um, social services in Towson, Maryland, where I was adopted, and requested a copy of my non-identifying information, asked them if I could see my file. I was told no. They mailed me a typewritten, what, a half sheet, three quarters of a sheet of paper. Um, that was basically the same information that my adoptive mother had been given at the adoption hearing. Um, all the questions that she had asked, they typed out. <laughs> so I had the exact same information I had had all my life. Um, and I, that was when I really, really started my search in earnest. So this is 1981. And I went to um, the only high school that I knew existed back then and looked through yearbooks from 1960, 61, 62, 63, trying to see what went, what girls were there one year and not there the next, and like, like calculatus limitatus here, and then finding, trying to look at, at guys and see who had brown hair and brown eyes and was tall and, and artistic and scholarly and was maybe headed to be a dentist. And <laughs> yeah. So I was writing down these names I was going through and the phone book in Maryland at that time was probably four or five inches thick in Baltimore County. Wow. And I was going through the phone book and looking up these people and cold calling them. I had, I remember I had this yellow legal pad and I was just, I had my lists and cold call and I got, I got nowhere. So then um, I got married in 82 and then shortly after that, they started a, um, a, a, a volunteer uh, registry. Yes, but it had to be a mutual consent registry, meaning I, if I was looking and they were looking, then they would match us together. So I, I think it was like $300 or $500. That's a lot of money when you're 20. Yes. And they're basically just for people listening, those registries are basically useless. They charge you a lot of money and, and it's extremely rare that anybody actually yeah. gets their information. Yeah. So just don't bother. No. So it's like, I found out about it because I pursued it, but most people don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And my parents, my biological parents were told, you may never contact this child. It, you have terminated your rights. You have absolutely no right to ever look for her. So they never did. Yeah. And of course, they also didn't know that birth certificates were changed or sealed or anything. They didn't know any of that. See, and that's one of the arguments you hear from people is that our parents don't want to have anything to do with us. And if they did, that they would have looked for us. But they don't realize that many of our parents were told exactly what your parents were told. You have no right to do it. They hear the same kind of thing. You'll ruin the, the person's life if you reach out to them or you'll be breaking the law. And, right. and they don't tell them that 
they seal away our birth certificates, that our names are changed, that sometimes the place that we were that we were born is changed. Our ethnicities might be left off of the amended birth certificate. They're not even told that we have new birth certificates that don't show that we were adopted. Right, right. Yeah, it's nobody. My birth certificate, you you would never know, because mine does not say amended at all. It's dated, I think, two or three days after my birth. So no one is going to question, even though I wasn't adopted till I was 22 months. My birth certificate was backdated to two days after I was born. Mine is... With my changed name. Yeah. Mine is... I didn't... I wasn't adopted till I was 13 months old. And same thing. There's no indication whatsoever. Right. I mean, there's so many adoptees, it'll it'll be stamped amended or it'll say amended or it'll be dated for the date of their adoption. You know, what if mine was dated in January of 1964? I might, and I didn't know I was adopted. I'd be like, well, well why does my birth certificate, why did they wait almost two years to issue a birth certificate? But they didn't. They covered all the bases. There is absolutely no paper trail for me. You would never, ever suspect. Yeah. And and people say, well, that's not happening anymore. Yes, it is. It, yes, happens, it, is. Every, it happens every day. Every time there's an adoption, it's happening. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so you decided at 19, after unfolding and refolding your information that you're adopted. And just, I would just like to say for your adoptive mom, that at least she took the time and asked the questions and provided you with what little information she had. And I wish more adoptive parents would at least extend that much kindness to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So because she knew that I would have questions. She just knew she was a kindergarten teacher. So she knew, you know, she, she was in tune with kids. And, and so, yeah, she just, that was, you know, one of the things that I'm really thankful for, but. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad that she did that. But so you're nice. But on the flip side, yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, my adoptive father did not want to adopt. He told my mother that it was not natural. And he did not want to adopt. Wait, now, did you grow up knowing this? I did. So we were not close. And then they divorced when I was five. So I was never close to him. But a weird thing, <laughs> karma's a bitch. Oops, sorry. No. Um, when he was about 60, he found out he had been adopted. <laughs> so I guess he was unnatural. He was. Yeah, he, he had said all throughout his life and he had told, you know, my mom that he had this memory of being in a car outside of the courthouse. And he was. He really was. That's where his parents, his, his natural mother and his adoptive father left him in the car while they went to get married and formalized the adoption. 
And my grandmother, his mother, was sworn to never, ever tell him that he was adopted. I hate that, that kind of stuff. I hate that so much. It's such a tremendous betrayal of people. So, and then there's the other issue then. So a lot of times parents are persuaded to, to give their children up for adoption with the argument that the child will have a two parent home. It'll be stable these are people who desperately want a child and they love your child already. And this is, you know, everything you could hope for two parents, stable, usually middle or upper class family. And yet so many adoptees, adoptive parents divorce or one of them dies or one did not want to adopt. Uh, your adoptive parents, your adoptive dad didn't want to adopt and was unkind enough to let you know that. Uh, <laughs> they were divorced by the when you were still very young. Uh, my adoptive dad did not want to adopt. And he, I, I think my adoptive parents were headed for a divorce when he died. I I was 12. So this argument that is presented for why it's so much better is often a really bad argument. Oh, totally. Especially in my case, because I was, I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, poor pitiful me looking for sympathy, but I was a leftover. I was literally adopted because no one else wanted me oh I'm sorry and my my mom said she had one biological child he was five and she said I don't want him to grow up alone as an only child so how about if I take Debbie they had been calling me Debbie so you were adopted. So was a it a, a pity adoption? <laughs> well, better like know. you know, rather than a dog for the kid, let's get him a sister. They asked that biological son, my older brother, if he wanted a sister, and he said, "Yeah, but not her." He knew he had known me because he spent so much time at my grandparents' house. He had known me since I was, you know three days old and you grew up being told all of this yeah yeah I knew the whole how's your, how's your self-esteem <laughs> Daphne I had none let me tell you I had none <laughs> oh and so, so to add insult to injury when I was born and then subs subsequently dropped off in foster care the social worker told the foster family, this is Daphne R. And don't go showing her around the neighborhood and I'll be back to check on her or whatever. Well, when I arrived, one of my foster family's daughters said, I don't like that name. I'm going to call her Debbie. So here I am three days old and someone who turned out ended up being my aunt decided she didn't like my name so she changed my name 
Now then, when I was almost two and I was adopted, my mother was like, well, she's been, you know, she's been called Debbie for two years. We can't change her name now. And so that's another thing she did right, you know, was not wanting to traumatize me by changing my a name that I already knew. So she legally changed it to Debbie. But then, you know, when I, and they, the story was always, well, we don't know who named you. Was it your mother? Was it the social worker? We don't know. So once I found out, you know, I had always known that I had been dropped off as Daphne. But then when I found out that that's what my mother named me, then I was like, well, I want my name back. Okay. I never liked the name Debbie. I was always spelling it with a Y or spelling it with an IE, spelling it with an I, Deb, DJ, whatever, because it just did not fit. It's, it, it was kind of like a sweater that was too tight. I just, I was not comfortable in it. I was always trying to reinvent my name. And, and then once I got confirmation that I was born and named Daphne, I was like, that's who I am. Well, I am so glad that your name, your given name resonates with you. They, that feels like it fits for you. Yeah, I, I don't think does. a lot of people understand how important names are to the majority of adoptees. I mean, I can't speak for every adoptee. That's why I say majority, but every adoptee I've ever talked to has pretty significant feelings about their names, whether they like them or not. It's definitely something that they've thought a lot about. And many and of what gives someone the right to just change a child's name when they show up in foster care? What gives them that right? I don't know. I don't really know what gives them the right to change our names at any point, really. Well, if that's our true. parents have given us a name, why change it? You know, why do they feel my mother was told not to give me a name? So she didn't. But I know a lot of adoptees whose mothers chose their names very carefully and the names had deep significance for them. Have you ever discussed with your mother your name? I have. <laughs> and actually, she named me, but she named me Daphne because she couldn't think of a name. And her mother like the name Daphne. Okay. So uh, technically, I guess my grandmother named me. Yeah. But your mom so. could have rejected it. She could have. She could have. Yeah. And so, so your grandmother knew about your existence, unlike your paternal grandparents. Right. And, right. So and that, now that's sketchy too, because I have the story in my file is that my paternal grandparents did not know about me the story from my mother is that they told them after the fact because they ended up getting married 11 months later because she was pregnant again <laughs> okay so there's another thing a lot of times our parents may not go on to marry each other but they 
get married and are in relationships not you know long after we're born or their circumstances financially change so that they would be able to care for a child but the way that the system is set up it's almost impossible for our families to recover us once the um, consent has been signed right right so there's also a co- another cousin of my biological mother's who said she actually visited my mother in the hospital saw me the day I was born and said that it was my father's parents who ordered the adoption but there she's the only one who has said that no one else has and you can't so ask. I don't you know I, I my mother's like you know well we don't we don't speak anymore but she was like everything's foggy and that's common you know because they repressed that for so long yeah and that you know it's painful to remember and it, it's it's fuzzy you know they put that in the box and locked it away and opening it is can hurt but um yeah it's just so who knows you know was it my maternal grandmother was it my paternal grandparents you know we don't know we don't because you know my my maternal grandmother the first time i met her she was oh, it wasn't right to bring shame on the family and <laughs> you know the tropes <laughs> oh yeah yeah very familiar you know i could say it was her i could say it was you know his parents who knows i don't i don't know who forced the issue well and it's common for us to hear from people it happened a long time ago why does it even matter why do you even care live in the present the past doesn't matter anymore i you're wallowing in these questions. And I think, first of all, we're still living and breathing today. So it's not in the past. It's affected every aspect of the way that we move through the world. It has shaped who we are. We can't separate it. You know, it's not something that you can just say it happened a long time ago and it doesn't matter to me. Because it affects how we relate to ourselves and to others and how we see the world. And it's definitely affected me on every level and generationally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I spent, you know, 56 years in the fog. And then when I start to, you know, back in you know, 2018, when I started to locate my family, and I started to look at everything, look at who I was, who could I have been? Why did I do this? And then getting information from reading and researching, and it really affected me as a mother. Because here, so I was born, I had X amount of minutes with my mother, I was taken somewhere, my needs were met, 
I was taken somewhere else, my needs were met. I was adopted by someone else, my needs were met. And I honestly feel that I thought that mothers were interchangeable. Deep down. Because when I had my first child, I went back to work at two weeks. I was like, I'll be fine. I was fine. And I just think that that just like snowballs, you know. So I think that it greatly affected him and his development. And then he has kids and he's done basically the same thing. And, you know. And then you have the generational loss, like, you know, I've found my family, but my, like, I have no, there's no history. Yeah. You know, we, we, we lost all that. So then my kids have lost all that. So just a lot of loss. It is. I think. I think that had really hit me really hard until my younger son told me how much he appreciates his girlfriend's family because they have traditions and he didn't grow up with any traditions and he sees her family and the way they interact with one another and he wishes he had that the cousins the aunts and uncles the grandparents the everybody being in each other's pockets all the time and right you know the weekly conversations with you know with parents and you know we're people and people are pack animals and when you don't have those connections, I know you doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's just hard to talk about. And that's, and I appreciate you being willing to talk about it because people don't understand just how deep the loss goes. That it isn't just us it affects so many other relationships that we have and then I don't know about you but I feel guilty that I don't have that to give to my kids and my grandkids I feel oh, absolutely yeah you know and it and it's not my fault and yet you know I still feel like I should have found a way to provide that and so now you were just coming out of, you know, what adoptees, a lot of people call the fog, which is basically it's a survival mechanism. It's how we get through all of these losses. And then eventually a lot of us in our fifties, I don't know what it is about the fifties, but ah, they're brutal. <laughs> and we start <laughs> thinking, oh my gosh. And realizing just how profound the losses are and how much we miss those connections and so you're 19 when you first tried to get 
this information in the 80s. Right. Now it's 2018. <laughs> Here is all of this time when if you had been given the kindness of receiving this information before you had children of your own, before you embarked on trying to navigate adulthood, if you had been treated with that kind of just to me respect as a human being you would have had time to build you know you would have had the potential time to build relationships to get the answers to questions to not have to wonder whose decision was this how did this happen how did i get here i but instead you had decades of being denied by the state information about yourself correct and so now in 2018 you decide to try again yes to try and get the information well, i had done uh dna testing as we resort to um in 2015 wasn't until 2018 that um like in 2015 I had no clue what I was looking at. <laughs> so I didn't get very far, you know, e you know, messaging people. Do you know anyone in your family that gave up a baby? <laughs> I know. No, and then family. suddenly they disappear. <laughs> They're like, where did those people go? Uh, but it, it's there, one guy. It's actually my, um, my father, my, my biological father's cousin has been by my side since 2015 trying to figure this out god bless david but anyway so it was 2018 till i got a close match because david the weird thing was when i was talking first with date talking with david back in 2015 i tell him my story where i lived this is the road that my adopted that my foster family lived on and he's like well now i had a cousin that lived on that road i bet he's your father so I wrote this four page letter. I was going to mail it to him. I never did. He wasn't my father. But isn't it just weird that he lived on the exact same road that my foster family lived on? So it would be the don't go out showing her around the neighborhood. It made sense. Like the puzzle it pieces like they fit knew. there. But it was his a, a cousin from the other side of his family. So in 2018, I got a close match um, with an aunt. And um, so I messaged her through Ancestry and she's like, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there were things, you know, life gets in the way and, and uh, we ended up meeting about four or five months later. And, and then uh, I ended up meeting my, my mother that year and my brothers and, um, and that's, I also met my grandmother, my, my uh, maternal grandmother. And that's when I got the confirmation that, you know, I was named, I had a name, I, you know, I was Daphne. And I was like, well, you know what, I want that birth certificate. And I want my record because there was so much, so much misinformation, so much lack of information that, you know, where did I go? Who took me from the hospital? Where did I go? You know, why did it take three days to end up in foster care if I wasn't in the hospital for those three days? Where the hell was I? 
And, you know, you know, the speculation that Catholic charities were involved and I called them and they were like the woman in, in Baltimore Catholic charities, she was super helpful. She searched under every name that I could possibly give her my mother's name, my father's name, my name. Um, she couldn't find anything. So she put me in touch with, um, department of health in Baltimore. Well, first, <laughs> first I had tried, you know, where you go into vital check mm-hmm. and you fill out a form to get your birth certificate. Yeah. So I had the information now. I knew who my mother was. I knew who my father was. I knew what day I was born. Oh, so I went on to vital check and I just applied for birth, my birth certificate. Like, you know, I'm Joe Schmo. I'm the average person. Like, you know, my husband could do. Um, and <laughs> paid my 40 bucks or whatever. And they called. They're like, we can't locate this birth certificate. Are you sure you have the names right? I said, oh, I absolutely have the names right. <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised like alarm bells probably go off somewhere. (laughs) So I said, well, yeah, I was adopted. My name was changed. Oh, well, then you can't have this birth certificate. (laughs) You know all the information, but we're not going (laughs) to give it to you. So I tried that. And then I had my biological mother try the same thing because according to Maryland law, she can get a copy. But they denied her as well. Really? Yes. Did they give a reason? No. And she didn't pursue it. And we live in different states. And okay. I, you know, so she didn't pursue it. So then in. Uh, but it's obviously 20... not about birth parent confidentiality. If your mother is trying to get it and the state is like pound sand, we're not giving it to you. Right. Right. She, they, she was basically told you relinquished your right. It's not your birth certificate. You can't have it. But you can't so, have it. I know, even though it's mine. So then I was told, and this was, well, Maryland had legislation um, come up in, was it 2020, right before COVID hit, um, to allow us to have access. Yeah, I think it was called SB. But it got tabled. 31. Okay. Okay, it got tabled and it came up in 2021 is when it was actually read on the floor. Um, so that watching that was, was horrific because it was a live stream of the hearing. And just hear those pompous legislators tell us adults that we have no right that our birth parents have more rights than we do that they were promised anonymity my mother will be the first to tell you she was not promised anonymity she was told to go home and not try and find me but she was never told that it was a secret And it's my understanding there's nothing in the legal language that guarantees. Well, because, for example, you went into foster care. So until your adoption was finalized, your original birth certificate was still in effect. Right. And how come no one in the two, almost two years that I was in foster care, 
Why did no one ever see that? Yeah, it's a shame that your foster parent didn't request a copy of it before you were adopted yeah. because then at least you would have a copy but yeah there was, there was no guarantee of anonymity to anybody's parent because there's no guarantee that you'll be adopted so yeah well according to when I was picked up by the nun I was going straight to be adopted you know my birth mother had absolutely no idea that I was in foster care ever no one in her family they thought I was boom adopted that day. So you sat there and you were kind enough to share a copy of a letter that you wrote after listening, but you sat there and listened to them argue. And these are non-adopted people arguing, I'm assuming mm -hmm. that, right. that you have no right to your own identity, your own accurate birth information a lot of the dissenting legislators were either um, adopters or adoptive grandparents um, who didn't want their grandchildren to know that they were adopted or to ever want to know where they came from there was one older gentleman who said that DNA is a farce that if you do there's because we you know we had you know stated that you know there is no such thing as anonymity anymore DNA has taken away that option I can find who you are and, and who your parents are and he's like I did ancestry and I have some third or fourth cousins but you're not going to tell me who my parents are I was like, I would bet you, if you gave me access to your DNA, I could find out who your parents are. Because yeah. there are no secrets anymore. That's how they're solving cold cases. You know, they don't have a grandparent that tested with these people. They have a second or third or fourth cousin and they you build backwards. That's how we identified my father. It took a long time. Like you... I did DNA and then I had to wait until close enough matches with trees. And then I had to wait until obituaries went online. And it was a combination of building backwards and then comparing obituaries. One of my cousins was kind enough to write a very detailed obituary for my grandfather that included <laughs> where he was at the time of my birth. <laughs> so, and that was the information that we needed to determine which of a set of cousins could have been my grandfather. And yeah. yeah, so yeah, there's so much information online now that at least in the United States, mm -hmm. if you're parents are also u.s residents and have been since prior to your birth chances are really good that you can find the information it does get more difficult when you're talking about international adoption because not every country you know one of the reasons it took so long is that my father 
turned out to have been born in Canada. <coughs> and, I, and we had no idea where he might have been from because I was born in England and adopted to the United States. So mm -hmm. I and not as many people in Canada had tested at that point. So it 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 isn't a guarantee if you are an international adoptee. That is correct. Yeah, because there are a lot of countries that don't have the kind of affluence or the or it's actually illegal. Illegal to test, right? Yeah. My right. my younger adoptive brother, his father was Spanish. So he would not have been able to get a match uh, for his for his father's side unless you know they unless had, someone had immigrated to the united states yeah, you know which so. i'll never know because we'll never know mm -hmm. who his father was so yeah to say that you will never figure it out you're gonna at least figure out some information it may take you a while to figure out who your parents are but... and it did because we had an npe event like my my biological father's father mm. is not who he thought he was so <laughs> so there oh, was an npe okay. you know back there uh it's like where did these close matches come from because they're not this name <laughs> but you know we eventually figured it out yeah um, but maryland i they like none of their records are online like their death records their marriage records their birth records none of them are online anywhere they oh, are under lock and key every everything is under lock and key not even like okay so some states will give you the records if a hundred years have gone by exactly and that's what maryland is is like that okay um but it's not online you have to file for it like i my um paternal grandfather's death certificate it had been he died in like 1987 so i was able to ask maryland for a copy of his death certificate and did they give you one they did they didn't <gasps> ask me for proof of identification Okay, because <laughs> I had to I wait for it to come soon. I just filled out that I was his granddaughter. Because huh, I my father died in Hawaii, and apparently Hawaii has a law that you have to provide a reason why you want a copy. I just put gene genealogical research. Okay, and I wanted a non-certified copy. I didn't want a certified copy. I don't care if it's certified. You know, yeah. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm not trying to get it as a state. You know, I just wanted to see. I wanted a copy of his death certificate. And then I was able to get a copy of his birth certificate from Pennsylvania. Okay. Now and that's how we figured out that he was an NPE. But <laughs> and this was after 2001. Because now for some people, depending on the state and the circumstances, it has become more difficult since 2001 because laws changed after 9-11. So some states that you used to be able to write and get a copy of, you know, a parent or a grandparent's certificate, you might have more difficulty doing that now than in the past. But this was just so, yeah, I'm not... for you. Right. But he had been, what, had been 30, 
odd year, 35 years or so okay. since he had passed. So I think there was like a 15 or 25 year window that had to okay. pass in Maryland for me to get a death certificate. And his birth certificate was 100 years. So I was able to get that in Pennsylvania. So. Okay. Yeah. So but I can't get my you, own. How did oh. you feel about having to do all this detective work and pay for DNA testing and subscriptions and phone calls and mail and all of these things? It's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to. I should be able to, just like anybody else. You know, type in my information online and get my birth certificate. You know, but I got off track. So <laughs> after the the bill was shot down in Maryland, and I wrote to the governor, got absolutely nowhere with that. Um, someone, and I don't remember how I found out. But someone told me that if I knew what was on my birth certificate, that I could request a photocopy for $10. Now, this was October of 21 that I found this out. So I immediately typed out a letter. You know, this is, I had to provide my name, my name and adoption my adoptive parents' names, my name at birth, my birth parents' names, a copy of my adoption decree, a copy of my altered birth certificate. I basically sent them my entire folder. I was going to say, it's a lot of information. It is. And, for, and a check for $10, have this notarized, and mail it in to the Department of Vital Records, and they will send you a photocopy. This was October 27th of last year, 2021. I, they cashed my check in November of 2021. I still haven't gotten my birth certificate. And I have been in contact with them until probably July of this year. Because I was told in July that my birth certificate is not in the box where it is supposed to be. Oh, of course not. The dog ate it. And, or... and no one's going to look for it. If, if the Division of Vital Records can't find it, why can't they write to the county where I was adopted and the courthouse where I was adopted and see if they have a copy of that in their records? Because they won't give it to me. But shouldn't they give it to Vital Records? But no one's going to do that for me because it has no legal significance. I don't need it to get my passport. So Maryland has lost my birth certificate. I would, I would be surprised if they actually did lose it. I would be not surprised if they just don't feel like giving it to you i don't i didn't get that feeling because i had one particular person that i was dealing with the entire time and she legit would call me would email me she got her supervisor involved because the division of vital records in reisterstown has to then go to vital records in annapolis to request it 
And there's only certain people that can go and get it because it's sealed. So, and they have some type of tracking number. So, you know, her supervisor said, we'll get the tracking number and find out where it went. And, and that's she was the- told it does not exist. And I'm out of luck. And they haven't even sent my $10 back. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course not silly lady of course they're not going to give you i'll probably get it in two years when they do a fiscal audit you know oh yeah i know somebody will find it stuck somewhere oh look at this i you know it's so frustrating because if that was your current birth certificate they would go find it because you would need it and you need them for it so they should get off their ass and go get it for you because right. it doesn't matter why you want it. It doesn't matter whether you need to have it to conduct business. It's yours. You complied with their regulations. You sent them the money. That would be like taking your car to the car dealership and then just going, yeah, sorry, but we can't find the part and we're not going to send this guy down the road to go pick up the part. We know where the part is. You paid for the part, but we just don't feel like doing it. Right. It, you you wouldn't want to, but you could take him to small claims court and sue them <laughs> to get your money back. It would cost you more than like, you paid them. Right. <laughs> And then it's no one, no one has that job. It's not in anyone's job description that they have to look for missing sealed birth certificates. Well, that's because you were never supposed to ask for it. You were I never know. supposed to have access to it. You terrible, awful person. I just. So here I jump through all the hoops and I still can't have it. Have you ever seen that gif with a unicorn where their head is exploding and there's like balloons yes. coming out? <laughs> I, just, I I do not understand the hubris. I just you do what you're told you need to do and they just shrug it off. Like mm-hmm. After you've had to listen to a bunch of personally invested people who shouldn't even be voting on something that they're that biased about to begin with, dismiss adoptees' desire to have their information. And again, people say adoption's not like this anymore. I would really like to know why they're saying that when you when you look at adult adoptees going to the legislature in their states hiring lawyers having to get sponsors to sponsor these bills investing the emotional and the physical and the financial energy into trying to get access to birth certificates obviously this is important to us 
and uh, it's it's just so infuriating. And one of the oh, things- yeah, I've I've hit a dead a dead end, so I don't think I'll ever see mine. I'm so sorry. That just is so wrong. And one of the things that you said in your letter was, "How can one person's rights be greater than another person's rights? How can the right of an adoptive grandparent be greater than the adopted person themselves? How can somebody who gave birth to us or contributed to our creation who was given no guarantees of anonymity confidentiality anything how can their rights be greater than the person who right yeah it's just plus i'm fairly certain that both the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which the United States is a signatory on, and just basic decency would dictate that knowing who we are and where we came from is a basic human right. Yes. So you and I love the ancestry commercials that say it was something like. You can't move forward if you don't know where you came from. And every time it comes on, even my husband says, unless you're adopted. (laughs) I know. I see that. Or somebody will say, it's in our DNA. I'm like, yeah, I know. I had to pay for it. It's it's just this cavalier kind of attitude about the, you know, people will acknowledge how important DNA is. They'll acknowledge how important history is. You know, with the current arguments about ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, right? there's an acknowledgement among many child welfare workers that kids who know where they come from and maintain ties to their extended families and their cultures do better than kids who are taken away from their extended families, their culture, their, uh, you know, their identities. So it's not like this is unknown information. Right. And they, it's not even new information. No. This has been around for decades, this information. But they choose to ignore it. Yes. When it pertains to adoptees. Yes. Because we're not human, apparently. We're some kind of special category of organism that it's not supposed to apply to us. And it's just baffling to me. Now, one of the things that we talk about on the show when we get a chance are... Because so many of these things are very physically and emotionally and intellectually draining, challenging to navigate, it's important to have coping mechanisms, things that we can do to help ourselves when things are feeling really overwhelming and sad. And it's also important to have a support system. And one of the things that I know that you do is you create these beautiful 
quotes, which is why I mentioned that she is the meticulous Daphne Keys because, <laughs> because she creates these beautiful pieces of art that require a lot of attention to detail and a good eye for color and pattern. And so would you describe your quilting as a coping mechanism? It's a coping mechanism as well as a therapy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I tried journaling and I, I can do that, but I just don't get the release that I get. My, I don't know. Um, I always have to be busy. I think that I'm a master at dissociation which is not a good thing to do, but it's kept me alive for 60 years. Um, so sometimes I quilt uh, just to have something to do with my hands. Um, sometimes I do it just because I like to make things for people, you know, the ultimate people pleasers that we are. Um, I'd like to gift people um, things Sometimes I, I think it is probably, uh, hey, you know, remember me. Um, but a lot of times it's just because something struck, like I saw fabric and it, it just struck me as, oh, that, you know, so-and-so would really like that. Um, so I didn't start quilting actually until I was in reunion with my biological mother. Oh, interesting. So, um I, her and I took a trip to a quilt store. Um, she is like the, like the home at queen. Um, she can cook, she can sew, she can crochet and knit and, you know, throw a fabulous party and decorate and you name it, she can do it anyway. Um, but I had always sewn, um, as a kid, um, my, my adoptive mom taught me how to sew. And then I had home ec. Um, and, but I had gotten more into needlepoint okay. over the years. And so everybody in my family has a needlepoint stocking, Christmas stocking, um, all the way down to the littlest one-year-old grandchild. Um, and then I got into quilting when we went to this quilt shop and I was like, Oh, I have a, a daughter who's uh, 33 and I, Oh, she, she loves octopuses and I saw this fabric and octopi and uh, it is actually thought, octopuses. Oh, is it yes the polar, because, <laughs> okay. it's, because it's Greek if it were Latin it would be octopi but it's Greek okay octopuses, so you're good okay I like octopuses better anyway anyway so um I bought fabric and I made her quilt now about three years ago and then I was just like I really like doing this and I had all these scraps left over and I'm like what can I do with these? So I started putting on, like I made her pillows to match it. And then I would go to my biological mother is a huge shopper. So um, when we were still in reunion, you know, we spent a lot of time shopping and, and I would see these fabrics and it would just bring something to mind. And um, so I would, I would buy it and I would just put something together and, and it just, it, I can't think about all this crap that's going on in my head 
when I'm quilting because I have to pay attention to what I'm doing. Otherwise, you spend a lot of time ripping shit out. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. You, you do have to pay attention. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's really good to let my my brain just settle down because reunion is so ridiculously well mine anyway it was so ridiculously stressful that I, I had to find some way to get it out and so I, I did find that um, I started making a quilt that was inspired by my mother I had to put that aside it just hurts too much to work on it right now um, and then I made this really cool one that is made 100% out of scraps and it's big question marks oh, neat. in this quilt I, it's not finished yet but um the top is finished but I haven't quilted it um and then um I made a quilt for my father my biological father who I've never met I probably will never meet he doesn't talk to me but it was just something that I had to do. It was, and I called it pieces of me. Because I used to email him. Well, I still email him. Um, he doesn't respond. But I email him anyway. It's just what's on my mind. Um, so this was all the pieces of me that I wanted to share with him. And I sent it to him. And he didn't send it back. So maybe he threw it out, burned it. Maybe he kept it. I don't know. Oh, I but is that something that something I had to do? I'm glad but, that you did that for yourself. I'm glad that, that I did. Yeah, I had. I just had to. I had to share it with him. I sat on my. I finished it probably a year and a half ago and it sat here on my shelf and finally um, I actually put it in the fair this year and it won, I don't know, second or third place and so I boxed it up and I sent it to him and I was like, you know, I'm just going to send it if it comes back, it comes back if it doesn't, it doesn't and it didn't so that took a lot of courage I like to think that he has you know it stuck somewhere. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I'd like to think is that he, he's holding on to it. Um, and then I have uh, another one that's behind me. That is. Um, it was when when the reunion with my mother fell apart, and I had to do something to to get the the turmoil out of my my gut. Mm -hmm. you know the the there's like some bright green in there and that's like bile and there's these sharp points in there it's like just it's the the like blender that can be in your in your gut you know yeah and uh and and then so, you know, some browns and um, you know the roots and and everything that you know I lost, but it was very, very. I had to put that aside for a while 
I called it my ugly quilt. <laughs> I think I posted it on Facebook that <laughs> I'm working on an ugly quilt. <laughs> oh, not done yet. I it's just <laughs> I mean people if you could see these it's okay first of all I'm just floored that you just started doing this a few years ago because these are intricate quilts. These are not you know your basic I'm gonna cut out some squares they're all gonna be the same size and I'm gonna stitch them together and I'm gonna <laughs> sandwich them with some batting and a backing. And just... <laughs> no these are you know lots and lots of different strips of fabric and different sizes and shapes and colors and and patterns that you are creating yourself and that's really impressive and then that they have so much symbolic meaning for you i would think it's difficult to let go of some of these pieces when you've poured so much into them that that you did yeah, that for yourself for your father and actually mailed that away that's that's a big thing i super impressed yeah that's that that's the only big one that i the one that had deep meaning that i have uh parted with <laughs> so yeah. the rest are oh yeah i've made a lot you know for like my grandkids and you know super mario and minecraft and things like that <laughs> well but it sounds like you make an effort to personalize them to oh i do yeah yeah like my my niece i sent her a unicorn quilt for her birthday and um another grandson is into pumpkins so i did fall and pumpkins for him so i have three more grandkids i have to finish (laughs) in between my my therapy quilt so So, you know it's funny because i think i referred to them as art before i knew some of the backstory and and these are truly works of art because art can be transformational both for the person who's creating the piece and for the recipient or the observer and your quilt that you made for your father and that you're creating around your feelings about your mother are literally transformational it's like art in its purest form in many ways because we hold art up as a mirror yeah yeah it's yeah i I, you know, I don't know if I'd be sane if I didn't have that as an outlet. <laughs> so it, it, it's a good place to go. So. I'm glad that you have that. Does it feel, I mean, how does it feel that you discovered this outlet in that 
brief window of time that you were in like active reunion with your mother does it does it feel more impactful because you have that connection with her no no okay. I have managed to separate my quilting from her okay. it's totally for me okay totally um taking back my name my quilting it, it's those are things I've done for me 100% me that's great though I do you, oh. do you feel like that's something that we all need as adoptees is to have those things that we actually do for ourselves I think it's super important but I don't think many of us do it because we're the people pleasers the chameleons you know, we just we want to be accepted we want to fit in but there there really is no place that we fit in but if we take control of one little thing like like my name like I floored my husband when I did it you know I casually mentioned I'm legally changing my name and he says jaw dropped and I said sorry but I am you know I I it was I needed to do it for me totally for me and my youngest son commented he said so my entire life was a lie and I said I can see, I can, I can understand that. I totally can. Cause, because my life was a, a lie. So I can relate and empathize, but I couldn't not do it for him. Yeah. And that might be selfish. I, I think I could understand how in the moment it could feel that way, but I also hear from people whose kids will say, you know, maybe later on, not necessarily about name things, but other things, how seeing the parent take those steps actually allowed them to take steps that they needed to take in their own lives, that if they hadn't had that example they might not have found the ability to do that. So while your son may feel that way now, there may come a time in his life when he can look back and say, this is important to me. And I have that example of valuing myself enough to say, I don't, I can't, let what other people think keep me from doing what is best for me and be able to take that step because you've modeled that for him because i can hope i can hope and he is the one he's the youngest he's uh 28 um and he's the one who doesn't slip 
he calls me Daphne because a lot of people might think it's disrespectful, but a lot of times my kids will call me by my first name. Not often. I mean, it's not like an, it's not constant, the only name they use, but you know, to get my attention that they, they would call me by my first name. Cause you know, mom, I was just ignoring. So, <laughs> but he doesn't slip. Yeah. You know, he, he, you know, he calls me Daphne, even though he's had 28, well, 24 years of calling me Debbie, yeah. you know, but he doesn't slip. Now my husband slips when he gets mad. <laughs> my, my spouse, he'll forget sometimes and I'll just look at him. <laughs> and usually after a second, he'll like shake his head and then call me Andy. Uh, but it, yeah, it's funny. And I think, that, yeah, it is. Yeah. I said, see, that's her being bad. That's that's not Daphne being bad. <laughs> that's Debbie being bad. Yeah, you're like, I don't know. Debbie's, that yeah. that's I don't Debbie's know. behavior that you don't like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who she is. You need to go talk to her about this problem. So, oh gosh, if only it were that easy to just kind of dodge response. No. I was just trying to think about how that would work, but eh, oh well. I think uh, now, did you have trouble just because I don't talk to a lot of people who've also changed their names? I I haven't done mine legally because my head's been just about died when I said I wanted to change mine legally. Uh, because he's a paperwork person and he's just no 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 too many pieces of paper. <laughs> but I have. And now I lost what I was going to say. Oh, I, did you find it, do you find it really hard when people who knew you before call you by your old name and you have to like remind yourself that they're talking to you? No, okay. no. At first it was kind of like it would get under my skin. Yeah, but yeah, I that's who I was to them. Mm -hmm. And if that's like my aunt who took my name, I get pissed off if she calls me Debbie. I can see that. Because she knows. Yeah. But people like acquaintances who... um who I haven't seen for a while. Hey Deb, how you doing? You know, I just let it slide off. I don't, I don't feel the need to explain or, or, or even, you know, mention, you know, because they don't really matter. <laughs> you know, it's not well, that she's... they don't, they don't matter in the big scheme. You know, they're not in my close circle. And my close circle knows what's important to me. And they they get it right, you know, for the most part. I mean, there's still times in that. I mean, my heck, my husband forgets sometimes. <laughs> um, my, my brothers forget sometimes. But my adoptive brothers. Um, and, you know, it's okay. They, they correct themselves. All right. Well, that's it's truly good. a habit. Yeah. I think probably my biggest issue is just that I, I need to, to just make the legal change. Cause I think the times when it bothers me the most is 
when I have to use my old name because it's still my legal name. That would bother me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I really, it's just, it's really almost physically painful when I have to respond to a name that I don't identify with and that I don't care for. So it's, yeah, I just need to get it off of my driver's license and my yes, the driver's my... license, your checkbook. Like every time yeah. I write a check and I sign my, you know, like Daphne Keys, and I'm like, you're damn straight. That's who I am. <laughs> well, then that's I'm who's giving that... you this money. <laughs> okay, well, you're you're gonna be my inspiration for the near future because you've <laughs> because you have done so many things for yourself you know, regardless of what kind of pushback might have been possible, you know, sending the quilt to your father, I'm still emailing him, even when he's non-responsive, because it's something you need for you. And creating your quilts and changing your name and, you know, just saying, this is what I need and, and doing it. Because it's so hard, I think, for adoptees and in our culture for people who present or identify as female, there's so much pressure for us to put other people before our own needs and our own well-being. So thank you. You know. My father is a powerful man. And I'm not not like, you know, in polit- political circles or anything, but he's a, a very successful businessman, very successful businessman. And I just, I've never gotten a cease and desist. And I, you know, I think that if he didn't want my emails, he would at least have his lawyer contact me and say, you know, don't contact him again or, you know, bounce them back to me or, or send me a letter that says, you know, don't contact me. But he never has. In four years, he never has. Is it pathetic that I still email him? Probably. I also mailed him a birthday card last week and I'll mail him a Christmas card, you know? So until he tells me not to, the door is always open. He hasn't, it's not open on his end, but it's open on my end. Yeah. And, you know, one day he might decide to walk through. He might put on those big boy pants (laughs) That's what I was going to say. You've probably heard this before. Not This isn't the first time, but I don't think you're pathetic. I think his lack of openness and response is kind of, if not pathetic, at least tragic. A lot of people would say it's pathetic because he's, like I said, he's a successful businessman who does what he wants and gets what he wants. and And you know there's so much that i don't know about the story and so much 
that I've heard could be part of the story that I have to give him the benefit of the doubt that that he was hurt probably just as much as I was. So your parents did not stay married? No, they did not. They were married for about three years. Okay. But from what I've been told, he's a he left that marriage a very different person than he entered it. And, you know, I don't know what, what went over on. I, you know, I, I wasn't privy to that. And I'm sure there's three or four different stories for what went on, but, you know, um, and I can't make excuses for him not answering me. You know, he, he's a, an adult and he could, and life doesn't but last I don't think forever. he can open that door. Yeah, I, I don't think he wants to open that, that box, you know, that my mother opened and shut. You know, and it's probably easier for me knowing that he's not going to respond because I can tell him anything I want <laughs> in my emails and I know I'm not going to get any flack from it. I'm not going to get any response at all if he reads them. I don't know if he reads them. So do you feel like there's a freedom in that to some extent? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's, it's cathartic sometimes too. You know, sometimes it might be something as stupid as, you know, my, my iPhone's acting up. It's driving me crazy. But, you know, and why did I send it to him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You know, or, you know, today's a really stupid day or, you know, have a good weekend or, you know. Well, I hope someday he responds and I hope that it's because he's ready to have an honest conversation, you know. I hope so. But, you know, like I said, it, it's, I feel like I'm safe. I could tell him anything I wanted. And I do. Good, bad, ugly, things he wants to hear, things he doesn't want to hear. It doesn't there's no there's no filter. Because more than likely he doesn't read them. So it's kind of like journaling. <laughs> sending it out yeah it's and i'm just <laughs> interested i mean we kind of in, we're kind of getting ready to wrap up but i am interested if so i know a lot of times and for me with my mother i always felt until recently like i had to be extremely careful about what i said to her and I felt like I had to be very conciliatory and very I had to walk on eggshells and I had to oh yeah yeah because I felt like I was in some ways held hostage by this person who had the answers to questions that I wanted to have answers to and I I still don't have the answers but my father died before I knew who he was and I could absolutely see like how it could be like a relief to be able to just say, 
one way or the other, I'm just going to put it out there. I've already been held hostage by this other parent that I felt like I had to be so careful with that I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to put myself through that anymore. So either this other parent or person, cousin, sibling, whatever it might be, either they're going to accept me for who and what I am, or I'm not going to have a relationship with them. But I didn't have a relationship with them to begin with. So, right. yeah. Okay. So if you had, or if you have like a piece of advice or just something that you would like to share with people before we close for today, what might that be? Well, considering this was supposed to all be about records. <laughs> Well, you know, we often wander, like I said, rabbit holes. It's it's not just about, you know, the records because there's this emotional, physical, financial impact that trying to get access to our identities has on us as human beings. So the podcast is as much about the legal aspects as it is about how that pursuit impacts us if that makes sense you know because it doesn't happen it's just not we're not machines we don't just robotically pursue getting our original documents there's all of this rejection and uncertainty and loss and pain that goes along with just trying to get our hands on the things I guess I would want everybody, adopted, non-adopted, to actively engage with your legislators, really. I mean, the more non-adoptees that write to their legislators and say, you know, this is wrong. These adults should have access to their information. You know, maybe... You know, if the non-adoptees would join us in our fight, we would we would get a little further. Um, and I think that everyone, the state that you were adopted in, you need to know what's going on and what the laws are. And, and you know, you shouldn't have to jump through the hoops. But the fact of the matter is we do. We have to jump through the hoops if we, if we want them. And in my case, they were lost. You know, every, every adoptee has heard the, uh, oh, they were lost in a fire or a flood. <laughs> mine were just lost um so i just think you know to be active in in trying to get some change in the system would be welcome um and as far as you know reunion adoption rejection you can never be too prepared and i no story is ever the same as any other story and everybody just needs to have empathy for you know what we've been through and you know we I think that adoptees themselves are a pretty empathetic group <laughs> you know <laughs> I just think that you know we're are we a special breed are we tougher survivors I hate that word and I don't you know I don't want to be a survivor anymore 
you know, it's that I want to not be living, but I don't want that label of, you know, well, you know, you've held it together for so long. Well, I'm kind of tired of holding it together. You know, I just want what everyone else has. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, I. Why can't we all be equal <laughs> across the board? It wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. It would it would be a kindness, if nothing else. And we could use a lot more kindness in the world. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for sharing. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening. And that's another episode of The Adoption Files. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Abby. Yeah, you are welcome. Now, I have to remember, everybody knows I have problems finding the end button. So, <laughs> the end button is different from the stop recording button.